Hello, we're back talking about a new film, which is Faces Places, uh, the documentary, which is a collaboration between Agnes Varda and J.R., which in French is called Visage Village. And unlike the other films that we've talked about, uh, this is a recent film. It's in theaters here in New Orleans as we speak. So we thought instead of reflecting on a classic, we would uh, talk about a film that's brand new, although it probably is an instant classic. It seems to have been, it's immensely appealing to everybody who watches it. Jonathan, can you say why, I don't know if you suggested it or I suggested it, why did you, why do you think you and I came to such instant agreement about wanting to talk about this movie? Well, I think, as you said, we needed, a, we needed, it's good, it's a good idea to do something that's really contemporary that's out now, I think, and in a lot of ways, Agnes Varda is a great, she's considered a great director, and, uh, but she is a great director. Actually, I forget considered is kind of it's kind of useless. But also, uh, but um, it, she's old. And it's I think uh, as far as it's important because when people are sitting around thinking about movies in terms of directors, she's sort of at the very, somebody from the very top of that line of thinking, auteurist kind of uh, French thinking. And so I think it's important to cover that. The fact that she's still out there making movies is interesting. And the fact that really it's an interesting kind of movie. What is it? What kind of movie is it really? It's not really a, uh, it, it's in a very interesting package. It's not like making, um, uh, it's not in the regular, the normal, the normative categories of film that you see out there. It's a little bit different than that. So I think it's a good thing for us to cover. I thought it was a good thing for us to cover. And actually, it's just a moving, it's kind of a moving picture in a lot of ways. A moving picture. Wait, that sounds funny. But you, you would be moved by it. So that, that question that you just said comes up in the movie. In one of the scenes, in one of the villages, somebody asks, what, what are you doing anyway? And they, they presume that question. Um, she and JR say, well, we like people. We like to connect with people and we like to see how you react to our quirky ideas. Right. So I think just to jump in on the off chance that a casual listener does not know the film of which we speak, <clears throat> uh, Faces Places, I'm going to use the English name uh, for convenience's sake, uh, it is a documentary, I don't want to say in the looser sense of the term, but it's definitely a nonfiction film. It's a collaboration between Agnes Varda, who is the 89-year-old director who's among the last living lights of the French New Wave, and a younger street artist, J.R., who does installations involving uh, photographs that are blown up larger than life and then displayed in public places as sort of a performance piece. The two of them have never uh, collaborated before, so it's a first-time collaboration for two people who've never co-directed, and the project was that they would go from town to town in rural France and uh, take pictures of people they met there, blow up pictures of their faces and put them on the sides of the buildings. It's the faces of the local people on top of the places. And so it's a sort of road film about them traveling around France in JR's uh, camera van. <laughs> and uh, Jonathan, you said it's a really moving picture, which is a great expression. And I think because it's uh, a celebration of both village life and the commonality of the human spirit and really, uh, to chance, uh, because she says chance has always been my great assistant. So there's a kind of random aspect to it. But just to address your first point, documentaries frequently exist in one of several categories, and it has a lot to do with how it is that films get financed. Films get financed at the documentary level probably because of an agreed upon result. 
So if it's a biographical documentary, there's a person alive or dead and the piece has to get done and the, it has a strong purpose from the get-go. Also, there are films that are political that could either be a call to action about recycling or endangered rhinos or about a political perspective. I mean, perhaps even governmental politics are also just a certain kind of thinking so that they have a kind of propagandistic purpose as well. And that's another reason for someone to want a documentary get made. They're not big profit centers. And so usually their return is based on the sense that you're meeting a market at the lower level of documentaries. They have the same issues as Hollywood or other movie making entities. Do we know ahead of time what people want and how can we meet them there? And so somewhere in there, there is this idea of creative nonfiction. And so Barter from the very beginning, or certainly starting uh, mid-career, was interested in what you could call the essay film, a film that not only includes, like it is nonfictional, everything in it is true, but it could be a film that asks a question and answers it, or you know, has a rough sense of the tone that it's going for, but it doesn't necessarily know what it's going to be. And, uh, you know, in the world of creative nonfiction, people love to say that the word essay means to try. And so it's really a movie that's an idea that becomes a reality without really aiming for a very specific target. So that's what makes it so lively is that it's really accidental by its nature. But, you know, that's a continuation of a lot of things from the the thing that we've come to call a school of the new wave, the, the new wave thing and everything from that period, that that's something that's always been in there as a kind of experimental film that it contains those kinds of things where then she even says that they have that great discussion where she said, where she says, you know, he says, do we need a plan? And she says, I, I don't like, kind of, I don't want to have a plan. You know, I don't know what it is. I don't know. Or, you know they have the dinner scene or the lunch scene or whatever there. Yeah, they're absolutely. Talking about it. And so, you know, so I don't, I'm not sure they, they, they had an idea of where they were going to go for it. It has so many interesting features though, that are beyond, that are, that are at other levels that are related. Cause in a way, there's a way in which it's visually, there's an autobiographical element about her own, the visual end and, also the the style end of her own filmmaking that's going on through the whole movie it's like a sub narrative about that's an autobiographical in a way which right. is really intriguing and that's sitting on this on a lot of levels that's not even just at a story level that's also uh, it has so many lines that are going through it besides the besides the numbers that are about the about the people that they decide to shoot right. that are regular locales you have a situation where she's telling in a way a story about herself and she's cooked she's got this guy jr who looks like jean-luc godard <laughs> when he was a young man and, and it, it, this did not escape her he looks like jean-luc godard. right he became one of the tools that she used in the story so just what i mean everybody uses the term new wave and she's part of the french new wave but any new wave one it implies there's some older dominant wave of storytelling or filmmaking what it means particularly in france is not only an attention to how films were made and newfound scholarship but really her branch of the french new wave was really more about um different kinds of stories she's obviously the great the first great female filmmaker of the french new wave so the fact that she was just telling stories about female protagonists from a female perspective but then also technologically you know the french new wave films were a lot about handheld cameras and what you could achieve with lower budgets and so um she along her career 
has done two things. One, make very interesting stylistic films, narrative and documentary. And then also, she was a photographer. I mean, she's still around, but she's been a photographer for her whole career. Mm -hmm. And so then starting really, I mean, she's narrated or appeared in a lot of the nonfiction films that she's done. But to me, there's a shift about 20 years ago when she made a film called The Gleaners and I, mm -hmm. which she appeared in the movie. And one, it embraced new technology, inexpensive video cameras. It was autobiographical and a reflection on her life because, of course, she's 89 now, which means that she's been she's been old certainly by filmmaker terms for two decades and so mm -hmm. she's been reflecting on her life and so the films that she's made in the last 20 years the gleaners and i she's she's in the title of the movie another one's called the beaches of agnes mm -hmm. you know another yeah. one is called i think is it called cinema varda where it's a an anthology of short films so she really is the common thread in all of her own films and this film quotes from her older films including the one called, oh, my French is awful, Mirror, Mirror, uh, which is the film she made in 1980. It's a documentary about murals in Los Angeles, in which she yeah. interviews muralists. Right. And so J.R. says, that film inspired me to do what I do, and then what he did inspired her. And so I think what the film starts with is the idea of two people having a conversation and making a movie together, which is also not common. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also... It's also about, I mean, it, it does, it has very, very turn, funny turns on the whole French New Wave thing. And then because it's in this strange dialogue with about Jean-Luc Godard that turns into a large subplot by the time that the movie closes out that way. But the fact that, the fact that there's, there's funny, I mean, if people were into the French New Wave thing, you know, the famous movies, whatever, Breathless and, and the early things like that. And her movies, she Cleo and all those movies that were, uh, really groundbreaking indeed hers probably first but they they used to do things all the shots with mirrors and in mirrors which in this case they now have it use the cell phone this way as a as a selfie as an idea which you know which is really which is really a funny turn on it now it is very I thought it was interesting because Godard's last movie the 3D movie essentially started off with a play about the cell phone mm -hmm. a different issue but nonetheless, it was a play about the cell phone. So they, they and their the reflexive issue, which goes on in there all the way through this reflexive in terms of self reflection, in terms of meaning related to other movies. And now, of course, they have this huge history of movies. So you have a movie about their own history. You can't can't get can't get a movies about their own history now in, in film. It's it's kind of going on. But I would say it's not an intellectual event. I think the reason why I wanted to say that that it was moving and charming is because there's a level, there's a very plain level, on which it's just emotionally very nice. There's very warm things between people. You know, uh, it, it seems like a broad term you'd apply to anybody, but she's a humanist, which is yeah. to say that she really. Uh, <laughs> One of the things I want to say about this movie is that I went back and I watched some of her other films. And so the Gleaners and I is uh, an essay about people who uh, live off of what's been left behind, right? They About people who go to orchards and live on the leftover fruit or people on the fringes of society. And so she made a really interesting documentary about them. It's the one that has the heart-shaped potatoes that are referenced in Faces Places. Uh -huh. uh, and so she and JR ultimately made a movie about people like that. People, some of whom are regular townsfolk who haven't gone on to bigger things, people who are just retiring, people who we might call homeless. And so they made a film about all those people, and it's not the least bit condescending. It's a film that's really made at eye level with great intimacy about strangers 
that they meet very temporarily and they have very warm encounters with. And there's a real exchange of affection that's really uh, ceremonialized by their, the taking of their photo, which is a sort of, it's a great little ritual. And then also seeing for the short or long term, their face being put up on the side of a building. It's really, uh, it, that's something that they knew going in had to happen was that they were really offering a tribute to the humanity that they were going to encounter, whoever it was, which is really not always there. The, you know, like, there's a movie that I would compare to this in a very different way, which is Banksy's documentary, Exit Through the Gift Shop, uh -huh. which is, uh, you know, about a, a street artist very much like JR, who does public work that's often very satirical and political. And uh, it's a nonfiction film, but it has a satirical aspect to uh, how the art world functions. Uh, and by satirical, I mean that it's a very intellectual film. It makes you think. Whereas this movie, it's not so much that it leaves you with a lot to think about, but it does leave you with feelings to dwell on, mm -hmm. right? That the movie makes you feel a certain way. Uh, even though it does have ideas in it, they're discussing them. It's not, uh, there's nothing particularly to disagree about. It's a very warm experience. Right. There's an aspect of, <clears throat> of that that's um, at least a part of it, an aspect, which is Parisians, two sophisticated Parisian types like Agnès and J.R., going out into what they call la France profonde, yeah. which a lot of the Parisians think of as just full of a lot of Le Pen voters, right? But they weren't. They established very warm personal contact with those people. And I found it interesting, you know, they doesn't, that they, they went to the parts of France that are not full of charm. They went north, mostly, rather than down to the southern villages, which are, you know, pretty and... And that, you know, and uh -huh. I, I think that's what they were looking for, establishing warm contacts in the cold climates of the <laughs> Right. I mean, they the go northwest. out of the west. She insists on shooting the cinder block structure. That's yeah. really like they're joking about how it's literally the least attractive place they could have chosen. Yeah. And the one, the, the big chunk of concrete that came off the Second World War. One of the shots on the beach. On the Normandy yeah. beach. Yep. With right. great references, actually, to early work of hers that are that is really amazing. Mm -hmm. She shot that early film. I mean, it's funny because the Gleaners thing, like I said, these, these, these themes keep coming up, the Gleaners thing, but she made that wonderful, at first, I think it was the first one, the first movie, which has the pe the people in that wonderful fishing village that are getting yeah. run out of... Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Great film. What's an amazing yeah. film? What's You're talking about the one from the 50s? Yes. Yeah. La Pointe Corte? That one. Yeah, the my, point, again, uh, don't make me pronounce it. Point, yeah. it's, a film, it's, it, it's a film that even predates what we call the French duet. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a fantastic movie. I would really, if there's listeners that are into something, that's a, that's a great movie. And again, that inspired me because that's a case of actually with a lot of the French New Wave directors, you know, like uh, because her the cinematography is amazing and shaped by people that are incredible still photographers first and. Uh, Actually, Godard had the same thing. There's your Raoul Cotar in there at the, at, the, at the top at the top of that, and these people are like stellar photographers to start off with, and shaped by people behind the camera, directed by people that are real good photographers. I mean, I, I mean, I can't. Uh, I'm not an expert on the subject, but there are sort of two sides to the French New Wave, and one of them are the Cahiers du Cinema, the film critic types. That's really Godard, Truffaut, and I guess maybe I can't remember which side. 
who else is on that side? But Varda's on another side with Alain René, who edited her first film, and then also in particular Chris Marker, mm. who's made the most famous photo montage film of all times, La Jetée. So uh, photography was their way in, you know, and I think that photography was an outlet for visual thinkers who didn't have access to filmmaking, and then uh, cinema became available in the 50s the way it wasn't before in France and certainly in America. That's like not that much earlier than Cassavetes getting started with yeah. like little cameras and you could just make a movie out of your perspective of life and not be again like we started talking about market oriented it really is a kind yeah. of self-expression and so a as a result the kind of democratization yeah and in Kerbling because in Poincor it's about again it's about the people very interesting gritty people in a poor village that are fishing people and the sorts of things that go on with them so I'm just saying it's a, this is related all these things show up related but then there's the, the, how much humor is in it like that movie the planet where it doesn't have that this this humor it's like although it's so funny we're saying this what's first because she shows she even stops to show when they're on the train when she says she's taking him to visit Jean-Luc Godard and she sets up a meeting which is a I, I don't know whether it's a spoiler or not to go into what happens but uh, uh well but, what you I think traditionally what you do in the podcast world is you say to people in about two minutes, we're going to talk about the ending of Faces Places. That's it. So, okay, there you great. go. Here so you be go. advised. Yeah. Uh, but but a wonderful thing in there is that she shows the first movie that, and they, it's a thing that the short movie, very cool short that happened with her and Godard early on, and you know, and she starts talking, and you can tell it's a very big deal to her, her connection with him, which you know, and as she points out, he says she, he's so important for. Or for everyone in film but and then but she shows the film on the film another very new wave thing to do they show she shows an early black and white film but in this case it's her own early black and white film with Godard to a guy that looks like Godard she's taking pictures to Godard <laughs> you know this is a lot of things showing up all at once as they move on the train through the French through the French country so it's the kind of thing I really love but they had a number of those she goes in to get her uh, they have a very close-up of a, of a hideous thing where she's getting her eye, an injection in her eye, where she comes up and then, the, and then, and then, and then she talks about it and says, oh, oh no, it reminds me of, and they get to show a section of Shan, the little, right. the, the, uh, <laughs> the slicing of the eyeball, yeah. which, you know, which, I've seen this movie three times in the theater and, it, and that there's really no sure bet that people are going to freak out when you yeah. slice that eyeball in half. Yeah. And she has it done on herself. So, I mean, a kind of variation of it, and then references it, and then puts it back in. It's all very, 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 very funny things about that. But she, they does also do an odd thing, which is, and they do a lot of the shots of them talking from the back, which in the old movies in the front in the new wave period, that would have, you could insert other dialogue, well, there are other right. sounds. Yeah. You know? So they're they're sitting there with their back turned to you, two of them sitting there having this discussion. It's the old. Plus, there's a lot of things about old and young things that are very well i think that's it. the last major subject to talk about with this film which yeah. is we're recording this on the day of the academy awards so we don't know the outcome but agnes varda uh is nominated for best director by the way she just got the honorary oscar last fall but by being nominated for best documentary that's what she's nominated for uh she is at 89 the oldest person ever nominated for a non-honorary oscar wow so yeah. there's that uh i think one of the reasons and by the way, on a tangent, James Ivory is also nominated. I think he's eighty-nine for a screenplay, huh. so it could be a great day for the for the for the octogenarians. Is, but, that, the, is that the for Merchant Ivory? Yeah, Not James Ivory. Yeah, 
I didn't know he was still alive. Okay, well, let's just take a time out. So <laughs> I don't, this is of general interest. But yes, James Ivory wrote the screenplay for Call Me By Your Name. Oh. So maybe we can edit that part out. So, uh-huh. um, uh, okay, back to Rosic. So uh, it could be a good night for octogenarians. The reason you don't see a lot of films made by people over the age of 80 uh, is that they're if the movie costs any money, diff- it's difficult to get them bonded. It's very difficult. People who are over the age of 80 aren't considered healthy enough to make films. And they're an economic risk. So filmmakers like David Lean and Richard Attenborough and Robert Altman aren't allowed to make films after a certain age. You have to pass a health check every time. So uh, Vardis makes films in a couple of ways. One, her budgets have gotten lower. Two, she's moved to a very intimate documentary form. Three, uh, her daughter is her producer. And four, collaborating with another filmmaker helps. This film, though it appears to be a single road trip, was shot over the course of two years, uh-huh. working no more than four days a month. Right. Which, again, the fact that Agnes Varda can go up a flight of stairs is pretty good. Yeah. And the film sort of documents uh, how her world becomes smaller. Uh, obviously, the metaphor of her vision that is failing her is mm-hmm. something. I mean, she's the kind of person who might continue to make films after she loses her sight. Yeah. <laughs> she's just right. the type to do it. Um, but it really is uh, it, it really is a testament to the long view. She interviews several elderly people, a person on the point of retirement, a person in their mid-70s. I found yeah. a quote with her that I really like. She said, documentaries are a discipline that teaches modesty. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you think that uh, she, she makes a film, but she makes it in order to learn from it. So it, it's really a miracle that she's making films at all, let alone films at a very, very high level. Maybe in retrospect, it may be the best film she's ever made. We, we kind of can't tell yet. But also that it's a film that means so much to so many people. So it, it, I'm glad that it, it, it's kind of great for someone to peak at this point in their career. Yeah. yeah. It's a really a pleasure to watch. I mean, a lot of things about it. And it's funny because I was talking about earlier, you know, it's, it's an odd thing. Like, you know, it gets to be a problem discussing French New Wave movies because of this whole thing with how important the director is and everything and, and it has really taken over the world as the only, as main way that people look into if they're going to get excited about film. And actually I'm restraining myself in the long run here because as much as I like them, I think it gets kind of overdone to keep going up that way. So I'm restraining myself to do, even as we're selecting movies to do for this podcast coming up, I'm restraining myself from wanting to do further French directors from that period, which I really want to do because I think that there's there's a whole other there's a whole other massive world of film that gets overlooked. And you know the thing about Agnes Varda and their whole the whole way that they that, that all that that incredible generation of filmmakers from France had such a massive impact on American filmmaking, so that we talk about things in a director centric manner, and so in in some way as much. We're going to have a gap now, but we're only going to have a gap because there sh- it's so powerful, but there should be some other viewpoint that's got to go on. So eventually we're going to get to the Godard movie and that I want to do and some other movies like that. But, uh, you know, he wanted to do a Jack Demi movie, you know, the producer, I want to say he. That's the, the, the side Me. That's him. Well, Jacques Demi's, uh, of course, the husband of Agnes Varda and that they made films that sort of go hand in hand because they lived in Los Angeles at the same time and so I see they're connected. You could just, we could just do a podcast about French films forever. I think the one thing that, our, I guess our one criterion for films that we choose to talk about is that we wish people would watch them. 
Yeah. And so that can lead to a kind of uh, esoteric appetite, thinking about the movie that no one's seen or the film that everybody thinks they've seen, but they should watch again. Um, but I also just think it's a reminder that there's such a breadth of cinema available to us all now, more yeah. so than at any point in human history. So, uh, I mean, the French New Wave, the one thing they all have in common is that they were all watching movies all the time. Right. And there was a kind of uh, critical mass of the history of cinema that was accessible in France because people were watching repertory cinema that those that young energy and cheap technology processed into all kinds of amazing films. And that has happened again with the rise of home video in the 80s and 90s. And now it's just streaming video. There isn't a single movie you could you could think of that you couldn't find somehow. Either somebody either someone will sell it to you or you can find it on YouTube or you can sort of go to the dark web and find a torrent for it. And when you do come across a movie that you really want to see and you can't locate it, it's really is quite infuriating. They yeah. have you know there's something that you said about I mean in, in France it's not the same as it was then. <clears throat> but about how they have the old when they're eighty they have trouble getting money. But in the 60s, they had a lot of government support for the movies, a lot of subsidies. So they, they, Americans couldn't do the same thing, right? Because an American movie has to sell tickets. But the French movies, if it lost money, was okay. Yeah. The, the government was picking up the tab. Well, the French, is, the, the, the French really have it together. One, the creative rights of the director are sort of covered by French law. And uh, you can't shoot a movie in France without providing wine to the crew. Yeah. So I think both of That's those things great thing. we could really learn from that. Yeah. The army has to provide wine to the soldiers. Yeah. And there, the Foreign Legion drinks better wine than we do. Yeah, how about that? They, they, one of the reasons that they were that the government was subsidizing a lot of those movies was anti-American because they wanted to have a French cinema that was lively enough to draw some, you know, so that uh, the, the American studios didn't get all the audience. Can you think of an example of that? Yeah, old Godard, Truffaut, all those. They had a lot of government um, subsidy in the movies, and they had they even made That's laws true. about it. In France, uh, in the it was in the late eighties, I think, and mid eighties, that they made a law that French radio stations had to play at least forty percent French music because American music was taking over the radio because that's what the French kids liked the, the sort of universal music that everybody likes uh, and rap, and the, and the, and the French government actually started making rules to compel French radio to play more French material. Yeah. I, I think I would just characterize that as a kind of French cultural self-defense. Right? <laughs> yeah, but you get money for it. Right. right. You don't have to get charity for it. You can actually go to the government and get subsidy and get rules passed to do that, it's... which they're trying to do in Georgia now, right, on Delta Airlines, but so some crazy states can do it, but you can't get Washington to do it. No, but in the United States, well, that's true, and but they do have a certain amount of, uh, yeah, the United States is unique in that most place, most countries do have some sort of subsidy going on for film, and it's and it's interesting because then it borders on propaganda, and the, and the interesting thing in the, in the French thing because it's very socialist, it doesn't get them the propaganda thing. Japan had a terrible problem with it, where things were subsidized, and you have a huge Japanese film industry of which separating a lot of the. Uh, there's, you know, incredible amounts of propaganda by some great film filmmakers, but uh, you know, but then of course, you know, uh, start getting good. The Riefenstahls, not to go so far down the rabbit hole, but but essentially, you know, America's unique in as much as it, it 
it attempts to um, uh, get everything down to the. Uh, Yeah. It's difficult. It's difficult in American movies to really take to really go long on an idea that doesn't really necessarily relate to popularity. Well, you get you get political subsidy, like Bannon's films, being subsidized by right wing people. Yeah, you have subsidies here, but by private <coughs> by private in, people with, yes, private, private with political interests, interest, private interest. not in, yeah. not like the government. And in the sixties, um, when they were when when they had uh, government contribution to these films, yeah. There wasn't there wasn't a censorship. The government didn't tell them it has to be left wing, white ring, or anything else. Yeah, that's right. You just got it for being an artist in film. Yeah. I, I mean, I I kind of want to bring it back to the movie because sorry. I, yes. I, well, I don't like speculating about this film because I I would want to. I have a hunch. I'd like to look it up that this film was financed normally by like a French yeah. TV company. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That like, I think it's a real normal capitalist movie enterprise. No, I, I don't think, think so. that this movie was supported by the government. No, no, uh, but I don't think, I mean, I think, but that's because I think at this point, it, it, she's an iconic, but money's going to come from somewhere if Agnes Varda wants yeah. to make some kind I, of movie, not huge amounts of money. It's not like she's going to make Batman, but I mean, you know, she's going <laughs> to, I mean, if she wishes money to make a movie, I know, she can I get money. I, I will, I know, I, I do disagree that there's common sense for big filmmaker to get their film made you know a lot of filmmakers particularly at that age are being put out to pasture i think it speaks to the fact that her daughter is her producer and also this film you're not nobody in the world would give you money to make a movie where you shot for four days a month for two years so i think it's uh i i think it does speak to the producing of it like it's not common sense that great directors do what they want for every jean-luc godard who gets to make a film or agnes varda there's a Monty Hellman or Victor Arise or who are wonderful, wonderful filmmakers who are alive and still busy, but they can't get their movies financed. No, I think, I, I think history is written by the winners. And so I, I think this was a movie that she's made a brand for herself for 20 years, making documentaries about herself that are frequently quaint. And some of them, there's one, uh, I, I wish I could remember, it's called like the world of Agnes or something that was a French television show. So she does keep doing it. Uh, but I just think that this was the one that connected with people, that people just love it. Mm. And why do you think this one and not the other ones? Again, I just think it's that simple touching thing of, of uh, you know, on the I surface. Think, I little... think it's J.R. I think it was him and his way, his photographs thing, of taking photographs of ordinary people combined to her. And between them, they worked out a chemistry of connection with people. I, I do think they probably did construct... A narrative about it, you know. I think that they, it, it just as filmmaker, I think that the end of their film was supposed to be going to see Jean Luc Godard, and when he didn't provide them with a satisfying and emotional ending, just to say it ends on a cryptic note, almost sort of melancholy, that they end up walking in the film. They walk nearby to a shore, and then she, spoiler ahead, she gets Jared to take off his glasses and looks at him. There's a very emotional moment at the end that I think was the result of this other process. I, I think for all the movies she made, I thought it was interesting to note that this is the first time she's ever co-directed. Because, of course, she requires a lot of help to make the movies. But this is the first time that she took the conversation between two people sitting at a table talking about what to do. The style of the film is really based around J.R.'s work. That's what he does. But how to do it and where to do it. And so to take his art and do it in her style. Uh, I think, and the last thing I, that I would really want to add is that there's a couple of moments in the movie where some random person walks up and asks what they're doing. And, you know, on movie sets, somebody comes up and says, what are you guys making a movie? And you usually sort of find some way to 
you know, get them out of your way or say, it's like, we can't tell you what it is, or he's giving you some sort of answer that gets you to walk away. Not So not only do they give these people a very satisfying answer, we're just putting up people's faces on the places. The people have very interesting reactions and their reactions become part of the movie. I think that's, uh, mm-hmm. I think that it's just an amazing uh, sponge of a movie that they just put it there and whatever happened in that place at that time became the movie. So I think movies in general work well because they're so perfectible and they can fix every problem in the world to make something coherent. And so that a movie that's so coherent and formal and structured can also contain so much random material is a kind of uh, comfortable feeling for a viewer. Yeah, it's nice. I I, I mean, I, I think... It, you know, it depends on the kind of viewer. I think every kind of viewer will have a thing in this. It's, it's you know, it's touching in terms of the age thing and in terms of the history thing, as you said. It's touching because that's on a plain level. If you, for me, it, it's really great, especially now to watch something that isn't sitting there, going on about some distinction between, you know, intellectual and ordinary, because this drives me crazy anyway. Now I can't watch it. it's intellectual. Oh, French obviously. Is a, you know, this whole nonsense of garbage that goes on with art altogether about what's, you know, what's highbrow and what's lowbrow and what's intellectual and what's just an ordinary story is something I dislike. So, the, so for me, it's appealing because it confronts that and says and shows the emergence of complex ideas from simple people and, and from simple things just because they're the emotional in, in every in every scene she captured the emotional feelings that somebody has about their reaction to those things, to the reactions to the posters and, a bit, and the description of it in relation to their whole lives. And that's complicated. They were complicated issues, people that were related to complicated things that had happened around them, simple people in complicated circumstances. But just by the, just, just because she realized the simple fact that they lived through something, the life just had to confront that as a situation. Whether it's her life confronting a life of film and relationships with Godard, or whether it's their people in the in the factory situation and how that came about in the towns and other things. So and 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 really that's to say something very great about everything, which is that and this whole thing about, you know, intellect and politics as being separate from ordinary people's feelings and the creation of that isn't is artificial and so that's nice to look at you know what i mean and it still all comes down to people so you know that's a i think that's a big accomplishment how how did if you if somebody sat down you know i have to say like wow what a master if somebody else sat down to even an artist uh, you know i know and i know a number of them that you know sit down and say okay here's the problem i want you to solve with a, with a, with a film or with whatever or your photographs or something or a piece of writing to do it that deftly as comes out in this movie is like elegantly as that to have all of those positions going at once. That's very, that's an, it's an incredible work. It's an incredible work. Is it a great, a great work film? So I don't know. I mean, I remember when we went to see it together the first time you came out and said, God, it would be great if film of going to see all movies was this, uh, satisfying. <laughs> She does a lot. There's a there's a, a quality of attention <clears throat> that she has to the people in the villages. Like especially, I noticed it in the one in the port city. I forget, I don't know which one it was, but it's they're all up on the northwest. They have Taipo or 
uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, love her or something. And the way she asked the women what they do and the guys what they do. And just listen. She didn't try to force it, channel it or anything, right? Just accept their way of saying what their life is about. Was That was pretty unusual. There wasn't any direction at all except what the subject. So, you know, just get the camera on them and let them tell their story. Great. And then, yes. And then there's this mysterious thing about Jean-Luc Godard. But we'll get to that after a number of other movies. But the, the thing about that, <laughs> the thing about that was that you were already into the warmth of the movie and the communication of the movie. It's still about... Before the Godard story even started. Yeah, before you and, knew about that. Yeah, unless you knew about Godard and then you were like, wow, how weird. She's got a guy that looks like Jean-Luc Godard. Yeah, and, and, she, and she compares it to him. She was saying, you know, and, you like Jean-Luc, you don't take off your glasses. And she uses a lot of his film language all through yeah. the movie. It's like a tribute to Godard. Does, and she does, uses Godard's actual iconography, like... Yes. One after another after another, or at least cut it that way at the end. Well, I mean, she's literally quoting from Band of Outsiders. Yeah, they, they did that do, scene. They do a scene in the Louvre in which uh, that, that's a tribute to a scene in Band of Outsiders. So he casts a long shadow over the film. Uh, they've been friends for a long time. They're connected particularly through her late husband. And as it happens, uh, Alain Rene and Chris Marker just passed away in the last five years. Uh, but she and Godard, the last two survivors of the original French New Wave. And so, uh, and they really, they have a lot of commonality in their style, but uh, he, he just wouldn't make a film like this. I mean, he's uh, he's really the opposite. Like she appears in her films, she narrates her films, her name is frequently in the title of the movie. Her personality is the practically the genre Whereas Godard is someone who's remained mysterious and sunglasses are just symptomatic of it. So that he wouldn't, he almost has like a Bob Dylan thing where he didn't want to appear in the film or really to participate in somebody else's film. Wait, 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 no. He's, he's always in, he's always he's in, in his own movies. some of his films, sure. He's always in his own movies now. He was, in, he was in the one in 3D. He was in the one in, he, in fact, he's in all the, all the movies in the last, that I've seen since two Thousand. Well, you see, you may have corrected me, and you're probably right. I'm sure I've just erased him from my memory. Well, then why do you think he didn't appear in this one? In a way, he did. And he then they made a comment about it at the end. And that's why I said it's very mysterious. In fact, they, they make the assertion at the end that he... It's almost like that bastard. He found a way to impact my movie without me putting him in it. You know, which Right, is, but that's did. what I'm saying. He, did, he didn't... Everyone else in the movie participates in the movie on the terms of the movie. Everyone else in the movie yes. does. And so they run to the person uh, who doesn't, and that's the one at the end. But yes, but he creates, like she said, he's very important to film, and he manages to, and I think she edits down that way to show what kind of mind this is. It's difficult, problematic, and nonetheless still impacting my movie, even my movie. He didn't show up, and it's still a problem, you know. And, it's a, and so, yeah, it's a very different kind of filmmaker. I think it's absolutely different because... I was, I was saying earlier, his movies are fantastic because they're not really what people say they are, in my opinion, uh, which is not an hour movie. It's just that he, he discusses, in a way, he directly goes at philosophical ideas. He gets a philosophical, he makes a movie about it. He doesn't have a position on it, he makes it about both sides, and people are like, wow, that's crazy, you know, but it's clearly something that was moving them. It is a different thing. But it's still a language. And and, and in, this, in this case, yes, she's very much more... It's, it's much warmer, for sure. I mean, it's, it's definitely that. She's warm. 
she's warm. I don't know that he's warm. He does something extremely cold. It's like yeah, hot and cold. You gotta have hot and cold, hot and cold. Can't always have hot water. So that's about it. Do you think there's a chance that they set that up with Godard? No, I don't. It, I don't think they set it up. I think Godard set it up. Yeah, you think it was all, all straight up. Bang straight up. I mean, that's a. I do, but it's all. It's always possible. It just, it's technically possible that they that they scripted that in. Well, I know it's the ending to the movie is scripted <laughs> in the sense that they had to construct it, but it's not with the intended ending. That they, that he, I mean, it is poetic that he wrote on the window and that she wrote back. Uh, but in interviews, and she sort of stuck by that that's what happened. Uh -huh. Because honestly, uh, if you were scripting it, there's a, you would have scripted something a little more, you know, it, the ending is not tonally of a piece with the rest of the movie. It ends right. in a different way than it might have because of his participation. So I have to believe that there's an honesty to it. I do think some of their fights, I mean, uh, the, the fights that they have in the movie where they walk in different directions and have disagreements. I do think those are constructed. I think, uh, yeah. I, I mean, the last, I keep thinking of the last thing to say, but I think the other thing that makes this film work very well it, is that, you know, documentaries are frequently about a problem, <laughs> right? Or they could be about a person whose biography is unknown or misrepresented. In other words, there's always conflict, which is the, essential tool of storytelling whereas this is not a film that has much conflict nor is it about a problem it's uh it's really a a movie of harmony it's really a bringing yeah. together of beautiful things to make something better than it was before so i think uh i think the conflict that shows up in the film is really just enough to, to keep us going anyway there you go that's a great ending watch visage village or faces places